0: Welcome to this podcast from the Gurkha Museum, part of our Gama Sunu series of online content. I'm Darren Boyer, Director of the Museum. Gama Sunu, Nepali for to listen at home, brings you tales of bravery, commitment, and sacrifice from over 200 years of Gurkha service to Britain. In this series, Gurkha Voices from the Falklands we hear from some of those engaged in the Falklands conflict in 1982. We begin with reflections from Brigadier David Morgan, who commanded 1st Battalion, 7th Duke of Edinburgh's own Gurkha Rifles, 17 GR, in the Falklands.
1: My name is David Morgan. I was the Commandant or the commanding officer, of the 1st Battalion of the 7th Duke of Edinburgh's own Gurkha Rifles that took part in 1982 as part of the task force that went down to the Falklands. I think it's best to describe it as being a bit of a surprise that we found ourselves on standby to move to the Falklands. We'd never heard of the Falklands, we didn't know where they were in exercises Prior to the Argentinian invasion, we were practicing attacks, defense, moving quickly into airborne or air-landed role of operations in Africa. So the thought of going 8,000 miles to the South Atlantic came as a bit of a shock, not least because we realized that we wouldn't be flying down there, we wouldn't be parachuting, we wouldn't be air-landing we would have to change our modus operandi totally. I took over command of the battalion in October 1981, and the following months I was told that my battalion had to be part of a brand new organization called Five Airborne Brigade that would consist of two parachute battalions and my battalion, And that our aim was to be able to move at very short notice to any operation anywhere in the world in which the parachute battalions would parachute and the Gurkha battalion would then fly in and consolidate whatever position it was. And we were thinking in terms of operations not dissimilar to the Entebbe raid of many years before when the Israelis were so successful in doing just that sort of operation. Before that time, we were members of the Aldershot garrison. We were garrison troops. We did things like the royal tournament, enemy on exercises, all these sort of things, filling in a gap that the rest of the British Army couldn't fill because of their commitments to BAOR, British Army of the Rhine, or indeed in Northern Ireland. And we had been doing this for 10 years So to be a member of this exciting new formation was not only a challenge, but it meant that the Gurkhas felt that at last they had a reason to be in the British Army in the United Kingdom. It's worth pointing out that the battalion was about 700 strong. We consisted of four rifle companies, a support company, and a headquarters company. The support company consisting of a platoon of mortars, a reconnaissance platoon, an assault pioneer platoon, and a headquarters looking after things such as administrative support, communications, and so forth. The important point was that we had four rifle companies as opposed to other infantry regiments of the British Army that had only three. We also were totally professional By that I mean every Gurkha who signed on would sign on expecting to do a minimum of 13 years. Some would go further, some would probably have to be released at that 13-year point. But nobody in the battalion ever aspired to do anything other than to be the best soldier that they possibly could. So from my perspective, I was commanding one of the most professional units in the British Army. In November 1981, Five Brigade was sent to Norfolk to carry out an exercise of what its perceived role was likely to be. The parachute regiments parachuted. The Gurkhas, instead of air landing, came in trucks, but they did a pretend air land. This was leading up to training for what we thought our role would be. So when the Argentinians landed in the Falklands, In the early part of 1982, we naturally assumed that because we were a go-anywhere, do-anything short-notice brigade, that we would be used. We were totally autonomous in the, the sense that we had our own communications, our own gunners, engineers, support, so forth. It was fully understood that The Falklands were 8,000 miles away, that we were certainly not going to parachute anywhere or air land, and that it was clearly the responsibility of the commandos, the Royal Marines, who already had troops in the Falklands. It would have been their task to lead the way in the recapture of the Falklands. Nonetheless, we felt that we were the standby regiment if things got to the point where additional troops would be required. And that is precisely what did happen. It was deemed that something like 17,000, I may be wrong in that figure, Argentinians landed at Stanley and proceeded to base themselves in the Falklands. Quite clearly, when one considers that If you're in an attacking role, you should be in the advantage of three to one against the defenders. There was no way that Three Commando Brigade could do this on their own, and therefore reinforcements would be required. Now, in my view, this is where mistakes were made. The first mistake was that for some unaccountable reason, although the Ministry of Defense and presumably the Mandarins within government, were quite happy for Gurkhas to be part of this go-anywhere-do-anything brigade. When the option of five brigade, including the Gurkhas, was first mooted, someone said that for political reasons, it would be sensible to leave the Gurkhas out of the brigade. Now, from what I can understand, the reason that the Gurkhas eventually did go down was solely because people like Colonel Keith Robinson, who was the defense attaché in Kathmandu, his immediate boss, Field Marshal, then General Sir John Chappell in Hong Kong, and the chief of the general staff then, who was General Sir Dwin Bramall, later Field Marshal Lord Bramall. And it was the latter who forced the hand of the Minister of Defense himself by insisting that the Gurkha Battalion was included in the task force. But by that stage, in my view, the mistake had been made. Things were too late. The two parachute battalions were sent independently down, one on the Canberra, the other one on the Norland, leaving the Gurkhas, the gunners, the engineers, the center of 5 Brigade, wondering what on earth was going to happen. The next thing that did happen was that two guards battalions were attached to 5 Brigade, and all of us were sent off to Wales to see if we could work together the exercise frankly was not a success but we were able on our own to develop what we thought would be sensible skills such as operating at night asking for more automatic weapons and so forth eventually as a reformed five brigade we were sent down to the south atlantic on the qe2 where we continued training Everybody complained on the ship because we used to get up at six o'clock in the morning, every morning, wherever the ship was, and go running for half an hour. This was stopped after a while because we had complaints from the guards that we were waking them up too early. Nonetheless, we eventually arrived first in South Georgia, where we transshipped to the Norland, a ferry that had brought to Paradigm from Hull. And we then set off to San Carlos through a horrendous South Atlantic gale with green water bursting over our bridge. And our bridge was 74 feet above sea level. So it was a hectic, hectic voyage with everybody being sick. But eventually we arrived and we were the first of five brigade to arrive. We set off without orders to land. There is an amusing comment in a book that was produced shortly after the war, which described the Gurkhas coming ashore at San Carlos like heat-seeking ferrets. Probably quite true, but the reason we did was to just get off the water and get into an environment that we understood, namely the land. We formed an all-round defensive position and waited for orders. Eventually, we got orders to send a company up to relieve the position on the hills formed by the move of Tupara down to Goose Green and Darwin. The rest of us were put on the one remaining Chinook crammed onto this helicopter. Normally, you put about 40 people on a Chinook. We had, I think, over 90 together with our huge packs, and we were put down approximately in Darwin and Goose Green. The pre-planning for this operation was done. However, unfortunately, nobody told the pilot. So we had different companies put down in the wrong places, and it took us 24 hours to sort ourselves out properly. But there we stood. That was our position. We remained in Darwin and Goose Green with my headquarters in the village shop, with work that was light but largely defensive in nature. We dug in and we sent patrols out to look for enemy parties, which we found and captured. Not many, but that was our major role. We were then, right towards the end, told that we had to get up and support a final attack on the tumble down, which had been planned for the Scots Guards to do. This was to be carried out after the disaster with the Welsh Guards, in which they lost over 50 men. I think it was at Bluff Cove, or fairly close to Bluff Cove, which meant that we would be going into this final battle with the Scots Guards, who had been in position two days longer than us. We had no time to prepare. It was a question of getting settled down sorted out to move out as soon as we possibly could do so to take out one of the hills on the tumbledown feature namely mount william the whole tumbledown feature dominates and overlooks the capital at stanley the battalion was then only three companies that had to leave one company behind in goose green plus a platoon from support company The three rifle companies went ahead in single file at night, shelled by literally the last gasp from the very accurate Argentinian artillery. During the advance, we lost, I think it was eight wounded too seriously, but fortunately nobody killed. In the end, we had three companies fully bombed up, as it were. We carried every single item of ammunition and weaponry with us on the hills overlooking Stanley. At this point, I was told by the brigadier when I had reported that our objective, William, had been taken without casualties and that we were secure on the tumble-down feature. He said, well done, Stanley is yours. Now, this meant to me that we had clearance to move forward onto the outskirts of the capital. And I was in the process of giving orders out to the rifle companies to prepare to move forward when a second signal, a rather panicky one, from the headquarters of Five Brigade, saying, stop, 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 no move beyond a certain grid reference, which meant the tumble down feature so we were held back whilst the scots guards collected a number of prisoners and i think moved back but this allowed at least three para and some of the marines to move forward through us down to stanley and take the victory as it were which was sent back by all the media to the uk we had to remain on the hills for another 24 hours in the freezing cold, in the snow. And eventually, after that, the majority of the troops up there, all three companies, were ferried back to Goose Green, which, of course, being a very small village and having only really looked after one company for any length of time, was too small a place for the whole battalion. So I distributed companies to some of the outlying places largely to restore morale, to prove that we were now in control. Two companies went to West Falkland and two companies remained in East Falkland at North Arm and at Darwin. So at the end of this, it looked as though we had done virtually nothing. We'd gone all the way there to frighten the enemy, to do no more than that. And it is interesting that shortly after the war had finished, somebody told me that they had walked down the streets in Argentina and asked various people who they thought the enemy had been in Las Malvinas. And the vast majority of them said, oh, the Gurkhas. No mention of the paras, marines, guards, but the Gurkhas. And it is absolutely true that the Argentinian troops, many of whom were conscripted, 17 years old, were petrified of being attacked by the Gurkhas. So much so that one regiment of Argentinian infantry set to guard the Stanley Airfield doubled its centuries for every single day long before the Gurkhas had actually arrived on the Falklands. So what is my overall view of this? I've described as best I can what actually happened. Perhaps it would be helpful if I gave a view of what I think should have happened. The first thing is going right the way back to the very first suggestion that Five Brigade should be the next standby reinforcement unit to go to the South Atlantic. What I find difficult to understand is why the Ministry of Defense or whoever made these decisions, politicians, mandarins, I don't know. But somebody must have thought through the logic of putting a Gurkha battalion, into a standby brigade that could go anywhere and do anything at any time and at any notice. And yet, when the real call came, somebody said that for political reasons, the Gurkhas should not go. I think that delay, whilst the field marshals so valiantly argued on our behalf, that delay meant that The five Brigade had to be reorganized in a hurry, and for no real reason. It seems to me that had we gone as a full brigade with the two parachute battalions and ourselves, got on the QE2 together with all our supporting units, and had we then arrived in the South Atlantic and had my battalion been used properly, Bearing in mind the points I was making about having more ammunition, having trained better, having been superior in numbers and overall professionalism, had that unit been used professionally and properly, my contention is that the two guards battalions would never have been needed. It was quite clear to me that it was unnecessary for us to have moved three companies to attack Mount William. And had I had all my four companies, there is no doubt in my mind that we could have taken out the Tumbledown, Mount William, and Sapper Hill, which was an enemy position further east, closer to Stanley. We could have done that on our own. This looked at critically would have meant that there would have been no point in the guards being there And some 40-odd lives could have been saved. I think that perhaps that has been understood now and that after the Falklands, Gurkhas have been used widely without fear of political intervention because it has been understood I think, throughout the world, I hope, because the whole question of Gurkhas reached the United Nations, the whole question of being mercenaries was discussed in the United Nations and dismissed, that use of the British Gurkhas is totally as part of the British army, and that no one will ever worry about the political use of Gurkhas in the future. Indeed, they were subsequently used to great effect, particularly, of course, in Afghanistan.
0: That was Brigadier David Morgan on the role of 1st Battalion, 7th Duke of Edinburgh's own Gurkha rifles in the Falklands War and his observations on the conduct of the campaign. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you will join us for the rest of the series which will be in Nepali. To find out more about Gurkha history, follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And to help us continue creating free online content celebrating Gurkha heritage, please consider making a donation at www.thegurkamuseum.co.uk. I'm Darren Boyer, and you've been listening to Gama Sunu, brought to you by the Gurkha Museum. It's better to die than to-